Hey everyone, this is Jonathan. Just a quick note before we get started. We recorded this episode on, on Thursday, December 8th, and as you know by now, on Friday, December 9th, the soccer world lost an important voice with the passing of Grant Wall. Our thoughts are with his wife, Celine, his family, and his friends. Um, we debated on, on what to, to put out beforehand, but um, we're going to dedicate our next episode uh, to him, talking about you know the review of the, the region as a whole of this past year. But uh, until then, enjoy this episode um, of us talking about our shared love, soccer, and the game in the region. the world of CONCACAF news desk i'm eric schmitz i'm jonathan sleep and i'm donald wine and the world cup is still going for some reason but CONCACAF has completed their world cup so we're just going to talk about that because anything outside of CONCACAF is irrelevant um donald you and i got to go just we'll get to more of it later but like how how do you enjoy like how do you feel about going now that we're back? Yeah, I mean, I'm glad I went because it's the World Cup. It's, it's you know, something that I know, you know, five years ago in Cuba, I said, if we made the World Cup again, I'm going. And I did. I turned 40, like, as this World Cup was going, obviously it was back in the United States when that happened. But that was all part of it. And, yeah, I was able to support the team after a grueling, a very grueling uh, World Cup qualifying schedule where I went to 12 of the 14 games, it made sense to go and at least experience a couple of the U.S. games and obviously be able to take in some of the other games as well. Yeah. No, this was definitely a unique World Cup, and we could go on and on about like the nonsense around it, but it was satisfying to like just be there. And it's like we made it back. To, the U.S. made it back to the World Cup we talk about the grueling qualifying process. It was really like an eight year qualifying process for this world cup. And it's like, it was just like a relief. Like we made it. We're back. Everything's normal. And we didn't lose to England. That's all that really matters. Yep. Last time we spoke, we were about to go into that England game. And we, we, we said we were leaving to go to Spain with the result. We got the result. Yeah. That's oh, cool. we got we'll it. talk about it. We packed it. Well, I didn't really have to declare anything in customs, so I didn't have to declare having that uh, point in my bag. Got through customs very quickly. Okay. Yeah. All right, so we'll talk World Cup experience a little bit later. We just want to kind of do like a quick recap of CONCACAF's World Cup exploits. Uh, we did our preview earlier before the tournament. We want to kind of recap, and we'll do it in the same order. We'll go through each team and kind of talk about how they did. So going alphabetical order, we'll start with Canada. Canada making their World Cup return after, what was it, 40-ish years? 36 yeah. years. 36 years. 36 years. Yeah. Not uh, 40. Man, don't make me that old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're all, 
we are we are all that old. Uh, Canada finishes with three losses, but most importantly, they had two goals. I, I said in our preview that if Canada scored a goal, it was a success, and Alfonso Davies scored the first World Cup goal in Canadian history. Uh, they got on the board. It's all that matters. They they seem to try a lot. I disagree. I don't think <laughs> I, I I think it was an unmitigated disaster for Canada. I mean, it uh, was. They finished last in Group F. They finished thirty first out of thirty two overall, thanks to Qatar being dead last. You know, good. Um, but Alfonso Davies ties with the uh, ties with Nayef Aguerd of Morocco with the Canadian scoring lead. Because, you know, Davies is the only Canadian player that actually scored a goal. They got an OG in the one game. Um, but, yeah, Canada had all these expectations. They were the self-proclaimed kings of CONCACAF going in. And really, it is a disaster, isn't it? I mean, this is why you don't talk shit when you haven't done fuck all in the World Cup. I mean, even going into that final game... Herdman was out there running his mouth, and like that's why you don't fucking talk. You just look like a fucking dumbass. <laughs> look, uh, on the last episode, I told you the story about uh, the late night on the ship and the Canadians talking trash to uh, Mexico fans about how they won qualifying and how they beat the United States and Mexico during qualifying. And, you know, after the Iran game for the U.S., I was like, oh, that's so... It's just interesting to me that, you know, they had that whole talk about, yo, we're here on this ship together. And the answer is they're incorrect because we are the only ones on this ship. They're they're leaving the ship. They left us on the ship. Um, but I just find that, I, I mean, again, they got a, uh, a hard coast, a hard slice of humble pie with a side of crow. I mean, they came in thinking they were going to do widely, you know, beyond expectations in a group that featured the number at one point, the number one team in the world. And now the number two was now the number two team in the world and the 2018 world cup finalists and Morocco who yeah. has done the best of any of them. Like, yeah. I mean, like I will, I will give them some credit that the group F turned out to be harder than we thought it was like Morocco's legit. Morocco's had a great World Cup as of recording. They're still in it. Croatia has looked like Croatia. And I mean, Belgium had a disappointing tournament, but it's still fucking Belgium. Like Canada had a tough draw in the end, but they also didn't do shit. And they talked a lot it's of Roberto shit. Roberto Martinez is Belgium. Let's let's be very clear, though. <laughs> it's still Belgium. Like you can preface it however you want. It's still Belgium. But yeah, Canada came in talking a lot of shit and it showed that they did not have the depth. They certainly have guys who deserve to be there like Alfonso Davies looked great Tejon Buchanan had a great tournament but you know you can't roll out a Tiba Hutchinson at almost 40 years old and expect to hang with the world's best on the world's biggest stage it's like I will I will say from the players perspective we we talk about the people who were talking trash it was not necessarily the players talking trash save for one Milan Borjan he definitely oh, yeah. talked some trash and man, did he look terrible in this tournament. And that's the thing about the World Cup. That's how humbling the World Cup can be. You have to be on your game at all times because at any given moment, the world can take it away from you. And several times in the group stage, Milan Borjan found himself in a position where 
he kind of looked up and, and sure in his mind there was a pause like yep that's me you probably wonder how he <laughs> ended up in that situation it's because you were talking trash john herdman same thing when he was talking trash before the croatia game they scored that first goal he ran off the bench he was doing his little thing and then croatia saw that and was like okay and they leaned forward in their chair and they started playing the video game a little bit harder like yeah that like that's how the world cup happens and and they're not the only team to experience that but they you know obviously having been on the scene for just a hot minute and having not been on the scene in 36 years they found out very quickly that, yo, the World Cup is a different level than what they're used to. Yeah. Those two fall under the column of found out. Yes. They 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 they, they ascribe, they followed the scientific method of they <laughs> fucked around. Uh and then they found out. <laughs> I mean, and not only like I just on the Milan Borjan thing, I mean the dude was legitimately the worst goalkeeper in the tournament. I mean, those goals that he gave up against Croatia were just abysmal for a you know, CPL goalkeeper, much less a goalkeeper for a national team in the World Cup. I do have to ask, do we think it's because he wasn't wearing sweatpants? Did he not have his magic sweatpants on? And that's why. He could have had his magic sweatpants on. I don't know if FIFA said no. It's not like, I mean, for him, he just decided he was going to go with the flow. But hey, he didn't have his invisible. He didn't have his Mike secret stuff. And it showed. Yeah, it, it definitely showed. Canada showed that they're not quite ready for prime time. Um, but thanks for playing. Glad to have you back, Canada. Getting back in the tournament after a long time. And you know what? They can just, it's on to Cincinnati for them. You know, it's uh, 2026 is down the road and they can figure out what the hell to do to finish better than 31st in the next one. I mean, maybe they'll make the Nations League finals. That's. Yeah, I don't like they struggle in the World Cup. I don't know how they would handle a tournament of that prestige. You know, never seen they've never seen victory there. So, yeah, they got to make the final first. All right. So moving on. Thanks to the Canucks for playing. Uh, next up is the Ticos. So Costa Rica opened up with a 7-0 loss to Spain. And you thought it was really bad at that moment. Uh, he's opened up with that 7-0 loss to Spain. They followed that up with a 1-0 win over Japan. And then they led Germany briefly in their third group stage game for a minute there. And a few minutes in that second half of that last day of games, Costa Rica was through after getting their ass beat in the first game, 7-0. They were about to get through. And then Germany was like, yo, we're Germany. This is Costa Rica. And they ended up getting the 4-2 final. Uh, so Costa Rica finishes last in group E. 27th overall. Um, how do we feel about the Ticos after the three games? Because after the first game, you're like, yo, this is rough. But after three games, it's like, all right, they there was some there's some compete here. Yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest enemy of Costa Rica is their coach. And and uh if for those that follow our friend Eddie from Brooklyn, uh, CRC football on Twitter, um, knows his feelings on the coach and some of the substitutions he made, especially in that last game. I mean, I will say Costa Rica gave us, was part of like, you know, the greatest final match, like the final match set during the world cup, like that, like 17 minute span, um, you know, from the start of the second half until, um, when Germany finally pulled ahead was just absolutely incredible. 
Oh yeah, like I want I want to say I'm pretty sure that that second half of that match day changed the world's mind as to how the next World Cup is going to go. Because we were doing three team groups since they decided it was going to 48. And in that second half, they're like, no, we're going to do four team groups. This is fucking awesome. Look, they, I mean, there was a point where Costa Rica was keeping both Germany and Spain out of the knockout round. Like Japan was in a position to win the group and Costa Rica was in a position to advance over the two teams that everyone thought was going to just absolutely annihilate them. Now, the scoreline for Spain, yes, Spain annihilated them. The scoreline for Germany would indicate that, yes, that happened as well, but that's not the case. Like, they showed some absolute grit to get back from, to recover from that first loss and come back, beat Japan, who was one of the darlings of the tournament, and literally come within, you know, a, a breath of being in the knockout round by beating Germany. It, it the the moxie that they showed was incredible. That was the the Concacaf spirit, never yeah. giving up. And I we I for one appreciated watching them play and just watching how they handled themselves after that opening loss. Yeah, I do want to note Costa Rica, the highest scoring team from Concacaf in the group stage. They scored three goals in the group stage. That is the most of any Concacaf team. So they they got their asses beat by Spain, but they actually showed some offensive flair more than the other teams. So good on the Ticos there. And um, and Navas in those last game, last couple of games had some ridiculous saves too. Again, we talk, we, we, if we talk about Borjan being the, one of the reasons that Canada was awful, we have to also give credit. I know again, take the first game out of the consideration, but the second two games, Navas standing on his head is what kept Costa Rica in those games. Yeah. I mean, Keeler Navas showed, like he is still one of the best goalies on the planet. And you knew that Costa Rica needed him to ball out. And he did like he, they were within a few minutes and a couple goals of moving on after drop losing by seven in the first game, which is absolutely incredible. Um, So yeah, dis- kind of a disappointing turn of events for Costa Rica because I mean, they were right there but they also didn't get it done. Finishing 27th, that tough goal difference. I think that was, yeah, that was the worst goal difference in the uh, tournament. So Yeah, but they, they really did turn it. They really did turn it around um, from the first game uh, and bounce back. So, yeah, shown a lot I of mean, grit, not, not only in that game against Germany, um, but to not just pack it all in after getting beat 7-0. Yeah. I mean, Japan beat Spain, beat Germany, and could not beat Costa Rica. So, good showing by them. Uh, also do want to shout out that Costa Rica-Germany game. This is a, that game was officiated by the first all-women crew in World Cup history. So, claps to that. Uh, shout out FIFA for actually having some sort of you know progress there. Also, I'm pretty sure Catherine Nesbitt, who is a longtime keeper uh, in, in the United States, mainly in Major League Soccer, I believe she... Uh, was a knockout round um, yes. referee as well. So yeah. uh, big ups to her as well. Love to see the progress. All right, moving on. Next up, we've got Mexico. Mexico opened with a 0-0. Let me do the straight part first, then we can start <laughs> giggling. All right, so Mexico starts with a 0-0 draw to Poland. Uh, they lose 2-0 to Argentina. 
you know, reasonable results. And they get a 2-1 win over Saudi Arabia. They finish third in Group C, 22nd overall in the tournament. But they don't get through. Is the worst World Cup showing in 40 years for Mexico. They had advanced in the past seven World Cups. And they're out. In the, they got grouped in Qatar. Um, the two important things to note. One, FIFA's investigating Mexico again over the chant. Uh, it was heard against Poland. They opened an investigation there, still pending. And then they heard it again in the Saudi Arabia match. That investigation is still pending. So Mexico still can't get their shit together. And Tata Martino out as manager of El Tri. Gentlemen, how do we feel about Mexico? I'm going to give it to John first. (laughs) (laughs) I just can't stop laughing. (laughs) They were bad. Just fucking terrible. Um, couldn't happen to a better group, better team. <laughs> Look, I, I think for me, they ran into a lot of issues. Um, again, I think they were a little, little cocky, uh, especially given that first match when, um, Ochoa had the save on Robert Lewandowski's penalty. Um, they probably are like, oh, you know, we're going to hold Poland. We'll get Argentina and then we'll win the group. And Argentina humbled them super quick. I mean, super quick. And it, you know, wasn't just Lito Messi. It was the whole squad let them know that they were on another level for Mexico. And I think the issue with, like, they're going to have to have a whole readjustment of their entire program after this. I know we're going to talk about, like, the future of CONCACAF. But, you know, Tata didn't have his game plan ready. We've seen that in big games from him before, namely in the Nations League and the Gold Cup against the United States. When he has big matches... He his team is just not quite there. I know they had issues with some of the guys that he selected for the team, some of the guys that were ready or weren't ready, like Guardado. Um, and at the end of the day, he just didn't. I mean, he might have done the worst coaching job of any team in this tournament. And I say that knowing that Roberto Martinez is out there, um, but he might have done the worst job because, again, like you said getting out of the group was just like clockwork for them for 40 years. They've always been worried about the fifth game. Like that's how, that's how confident they are that they're getting out of the group is that they're not worried about getting out of the group. They're just worried about getting to the quarterfinals and trying to break that barrier. And they couldn't even get out of the group. Now they're left with no coach. And I'm pretty sure that in the span of six months, Mexico has fired every coach for every team and their entire sporting department. They seem to have everything together right now, you know, tight, but like the crazy thing is that final match day, Mexico's up two nothing on Saudi Arabia in the second half. If they get one more goal, they're through. They're through on goal scored with Poland and they end up giving a, giving up a late goal to Saudi Arabia. So they end up finishing third square, but it was right there for them and they could not get it done. And you just have to laugh because it's fucking hilarious. They, but, they I, mean, I mean, they, the, they had some great opportunities too. And they had some chances. I mean, they had one that was called back where they did score. It was called back for offside. I think they had another one that was a foul in the box or something like that. They had a couple that, you know, they blew the chances where it was like wide, wide open chances and they hit it wide or something like that. But again, they built this pressure themselves. Like 
the pressure that was in that building on that day was no fault other than their own because again they are not thinking about getting out of the group stage for them it's just been an afterthought they were like well we're just gonna go and try and get to the quarterfinals we're gonna break that barrier and then we're gonna keep going from there and again humility is a is a a big word in the world cup. And that was where the humility for them is, is maybe next time they'll worry about getting out of the group, especially in a group as tough as they were in. I mean, the big thing too, is like, we see that like they struggled to score goals. Uh, I mean, you know, they scored, didn't score a single goal until the final match, final match day. When you leave off guys like Eduardo Aguirre, Santiago Jimenez, um, Chicharito, you know, you're, yeah. Chicharito, um, you know, but the Chichir- I, I, I can't leave Chicharito and Carlos Vela like off to one side because there's they're their own issues. They got beef there yeah. with yeah. them with with them not being there. Um, but I mean, yeah, I, I really think squad selection for the tournament and like you can't tell. I mean, I know Diego Linez hasn't been playing for Braga, but like you can't tell me he wouldn't have made a difference for you know what, what they had on that team. Yeah, no, I mean, you can find a million reasons why Mexico fucked up going in the thing, the mistakes they made now. And now they're left with a lot of uncertainty because they got to hire a manager. They've got, I mean, you've got tournaments coming up this, this summer, you've got your nation's league, you've got your gold cup and man, that program looks like it's at the bottom of the bell curve as far as like how, how they've been going like you you think you assume there's gonna be some sort of rebound but i don't know we'll they, get we'll get more you know the biggest the biggest that. fuck up of it all is they what? didn't get to wear those fire ass away jerseys yeah i mean yeah. i guess what they deserve what they get for not wearing those kits the other thing yeah. is you know again we talk about guys who didn't step up um the one chant that i mean we talk about chance right like the mm-hmm. one player chant that you could hear at the world cup was for chucky lozano Chuck Lozano did not show up to this World Cup. I think they were calling for him in an effort to get him to come to Qatar uh, and actually play because he was not on the field playing very well for them. And it showed because a lot of their offense normally goes to them or at least relies on them on him to be great. And he wasn't. And because of that, they really struggled. Yeah, for sure. So tough break, Mexico. All right. On to the most successful team out of CONCACAF. The only team to advance, uh, the United States of America. After opening with a 1-1 draw against Wales, they win a 0-0 draw against England, a country who has never beaten the United States, and then with a 1-0 win over Iran in the final match day, advanced to the round of 16, where they fell to the Netherlands, the Group A winners, by a 3-1 score, uh, finishing second in Group B, 14th overall. Fellas, what do you take from this tournament for the United States of America? I mean, I think the biggest thing that I take away from this tournament is the U S has to develop or find a, uh, a center forward, or they got to find a way to score. I think they, there was plenty of opportunities where they had chances, had half chances and opportunities. Um, but there just wasn't that final, either that final ball or that final, um, you know, person to put it away. And so other than that, I mean, it's about what I ex- like, you know, it's about what I expected. Um, I definitely probably most disappointed in how the Netherlands game happened, um, especially that uh, that final 
ball like that that go- that goal right before half in the second half like really just like was an absolute gut punch mm-hmm. uh and so i think i'm more disappointed there's more, i have a more of a sour taste because of how that final game went um but uh, on a whole getting out of the group and then um at times playing much better than the netherlands but just you know being a little bit uh inexperienced and not covering the back door yeah no i mean to be honest i honestly feel the other way about that final game Cause like they clearly got out coached. There's a game plan that they couldn't adjust to. Like the Netherlands won that game because they did shit that the U.S. wasn't ready for. And it's like it wasn't like a bad break that ended it. It's like they got beat. So like there's yeah. some, you know, like resolution to the whole thing. I don't, I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, I, I think there's a few things, right? One did. I think it was successful. Yeah, because I said getting out of the group would be the baseline for success. And then after that, we were playing with house money. Our house money ran out against the Dutch because, like you said, we had a lot of adjustments. We missed a lot of opportunities in this World Cup to score. I think, you know, we were just way too timid in the final third. A lot of guys were looking for the pass instead of the shot. And uh, we'll talk about what the team needs. But I I think it was evident that they needed somebody to just shoot the ball 10 times with with the mindset of if I shoot the ball 10 times, the goalkeeper can't stop all of them, right? Like there has to be a guy who in a way is kind of selfish um, for to, for lack of a better word to uh, put the ball on frame and just put pepper the goal with shots in the hopes that one goes in because we need somebody to do that. Having said that, I think a lot of guys showed some great, great performances during this tournament. Um, I think Tyler Adams was great as the captain. He was great as the, my he's son. the overall best player. Um, Tim Ream Eunice put in three Musa. shifts. Eunice Musa. Well, I, I think Eunice Musa, honestly, the only reason I didn't think he played well against the Netherlands because he was just tired along with the mm-hmm. rest of the team. Tim Weah had, you know, great shifts as well. Like, so you had a lot of guys who had great performances. And I think in the end, there's a lot for American fans to be excited about and also proud about like they came and represented again they carried the flag of CONCACAF they could have gotten a lot farther should could they could still be playing absolutely but I'm not disappointed with a round of 16 exit I'm as Jonathan said I'm disappointed in the way it ended because I felt like we played our worst game of the tournament when it mattered yeah Yeah. I mean you look at and you look at that final game like and across the four games you saw moments where it's like it could have swung things so different that first that round of 16 game netherlands was it three minutes in Polistic gets that like half break where it's like yeah. oh everyone assumed he was off sides and he gets stopped on the shot because he's he thought he was off sides it looked like he kind of like didn't fully go for the chance it's like he was on side if he scores that goal that's a very different game if that the england game I mean, if McKenney hits that volley a little cleaner and the U.S. is up one nothing in that first half, maybe they we win, win the game. group. You win, we the group. win the game. We win the group and we're on the other side. Yeah. You're I getting Senegal. Senegal. Yeah. And instead of playing the Netherlands and the Netherlands, they came out with a game plan to exploit the U.S.'s weaknesses. And they sat there and they forced Tim Ream and Walker Zimmerman to play the ball at the middle and right into their midfield, like they knew what they were doing and the U S never really adjusted to it. Um, I'm really happy with the way Matt Turner played and being, yeah, he's an, he's a guy I didn't mention, but yes, absolutely. I mean, he's 28, he's going to be 32 in 2026. Like, you know, the U S has a keeper for this cycle 
Like someone else can come up and supplant him, but like U.S. has a keeper. That's really good to know. But yeah, I mean, you saw moments. He had moments that could have gone the other way, but all in all, I mean, they finished 14th. They finished 15th in 2014. So it's like, this is like, they got back to the baseline. And after missing 2018, like, it's okay to be back where we were in some sense, because you know the trajectory is upward. And I think that's the exciting part about it. Yeah, and I think for the U.S., I mean, we'll look forward to, you know, 2026. We'll talk about that. But if you, I think the last part, which you mentioned, is key here. Because when you talk about the round of 16 exits or the quarterfinal exits, right? Whenever we get out of the group stage, you know, we finished 14th in 1994 when we hosted. In 2002, we made the quarterfinals. We finished 8th. In 2010, we finished 12th. 2014, we finished 15th. And then 20, and then this one, we finished 14th. Like there is no doubt now what our baseline is and our baseline has increased, right? Like Mm -hmm. no one, no one should think of us as a top 25 or top 30 team. I don't care what men's soccer Twitter will tell you. Like we now have to look at ourselves as a top 15 team in the world. And now the next level is to get into the top 10 in the world and be considered as a consistent top 10 opponent. And I think, you know, we're looking at the FIFA rankings, like the live ones as they update every single day. It seems like after this tournament, barring some other things that equations, we're going to be either at like 11th or 12th in the world. Which so there's our right. baseline. It, it seems, seems right. right. Yeah. And and what that means is for, for this program, they can look forward to, okay, now we have to, as a, as a soccer nation, we have to enter with the mentality of, yo, we're not when we play the Englands and the Brazils of the world, we need to consider the fact that we should beat some of them, not all of them, but we should be contending with those teams and thinking about how to contend with those teams. Yeah. I mean, you saw in the England game was England, the better team. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Like arguably you, you think the U S probably should have won that game, but, and if England's a top five team ish, five ish, you know, then that's about where you're working. And it's it's good to see. I think in the Netherlands game, you did see that, like, there's a quality on the ball that some teams have that the U.S. doesn't quite have yet. But we're getting there. You, a couple of those times where McKenney would get the ball and turn on him, like, you you don't – that could be anyone in the world doing it. And that's, that's a kid from Texas – doing it look it we, makes you feel good we haven't it. mentioned his we haven't mentioned his name christian ballistic had some great moments in this tournament as well i mean yeah. he scored the goal against iran uh, i think i think his best overall game might have been against england um and i think everyone's was you know that level just kind of ratcheted up and to hold them again to make it look like we were the we were the fifth team in the world and not not them is a is a, a feat in itself but i think there's again a lot of good pieces here that can build and and, and the second youngest roster at the tournament, the youngest starting 11s at the tournament, I think all four of our, all, all four of ours were like three of the top or four of the top six uh, youngest starting 11s. This core is there. We have our young core. We're going to get some new faces in there as well. But in 2026, that core will be a core that the world fears. Yeah. Jonathan, I do want to just check one thing. I have this in my note here. I don't know if you can confirm. Has England ever beaten the U.S. in a competitive match? 
Never. Okay. Just, never. Just just verifying that. Thank they you. They also for... have never won the Concacaf Nations League. That's true. Mm. Zero Concacaf Nations League for England. Alleged birthplace of soccer, but you know, they're just not better than the US because they've never, ever, ever, not once ever beaten us. So that kind of, that's what CONCACAF did in 2022. Let's kind of look forward 2026. Who do you like? What do you take from this tournament looking at a tournament four years from now that not only that will feature more CONCACAF teams, but do you think everyone is setting themselves up for success here? No, no, not at all. I mean, excluding Mexico. Is everyone else setting themselves up for success? I mean, Costa Rica, no. I mean, look at all of the guys on that team that are going to age out. I mean, a lot of them probably should have aged out for this tournament. Yeah. I mean, Brian Aviedo, like, what the fuck is he doing still playing? Um, so I don't feel that – I don't feel like some of these guys uh, – and Brian – not Brian Aviedo. I was in Brian Ruiz, one of the – Brian Ruiz, yeah. Yeah, not Brian Aviedo. Um but but yeah, no, it's I, I don't feel like they're prepared. Um, I'm honestly not looking forward to the expanded tournament as we look forward to to 2026. But um, that is what it is. I think for me, the issue that a lot of CONCACAF teams have, I, I think the U.S. and Canada have two specific things. So I'll set those aside for a second. I think everyone else is in the position where they're going to have a buttload of tur- turnover even jamaica who brought in a lot of those guys from england uh that have jamaican ancestry or jamaican passports they brought those guys in and even some of those are going to age out so there's going to be a lot of turnover amongst a lot of the you know when we say like the top 15 teams in Concacaf. there's a lot of turnover who does it the best is going to see who elevates we talked about some of those island nations that are going that are poised to make the jump to the next level, it all depends on if they can their core can continue to improve together while these other teams have their cores kind of shaken up. I think for Canada, they have to go back to the drawing board because they have to now realize that yo, you winning CONCACAF World Cup qualifying did you not a damn thing. Like they thought about that being the benchmark because they had never seen it before. Yeah. They now have to think again, kind of like the United States. The United States to think, yo, we're one of the top 10 teams in the world, act like it, play like it all the time, be consistent. For Canada, they have to think, yo, we still have a young core. We have a couple of aging guys, but we have to figure out how to play, how our program can continue to build and grow with a lot of these guys still playing in Canada, right? Like not everyone, I mean, you have a couple of guys playing in Europe, but there's some guys, like how do they cultivate their soccer identity and continue to grow it they have a long three and a half years ahead of them because i'm pretty sure they thought they were going to get out of the group and do some damage and set up some wild expectations now they have to temper those they can't just say we're going to come in and get to the semifinals in 2026 they have to now think oh we need to try and get out of the group whereas the united states can have these lofty expectations and they be sort of realistic yeah no, I, I think it was a good reality check for Canada and something they need. Like they clearly are a growing program. They've got young talent and they clearly have world-class talent at some positions and lack it at others. 
and they've got three and a half years to develop those other positions. You saw how quickly the U.S. can turn over a pool. Like Canada is not going to have the depth that the U.S. will have in four years, but they might have a more competitive 11 to roll out. And as some of these young guys get more developed, like they could have, there could be 17, 18, 19 year old Canadians right now that could develop into guys who could play at that level three and a half years from now. But the guys who are the core at this time clearly aren't cutting it. So it'll be interesting to see how they use the next few years to kind of cycle through the pool. I know we talked about Costa Rica, like that's going to be another pool. It needs to get, you know, run through the skimmer a bit. Like Keeler Navas is not, I don't know that he's not, but like he's probably not going to be there for you in four years and they're going to have to qualify. So they also are going to have the opportunity to play a lot of games to figure out who the hell they can bring to the tournament. Mexico, I mean, figure out who your coach is and then figure out what the hell you want to do from there. Um, figure out your sporting director. Figure out what yeah. you want to do from there as well. Yeah. Figure out where the hell you're supposed to play your home games, you know, because you don't like playing in Mexico. Like, try to figure that out. Get your fans back on your side. Start getting your young talent developing outside of League MX. And, uh, yeah, I mean. Quit with the homophobic chants. Yeah. Enough with the fucking chant. Like, Jesus. Fuck. Like, get over it. And, yeah, I mean, Mexico's already in. They don't got to worry about qualifying. They got to worry about getting their house together. And they got three and a half years to do it. Um, I think also for Canada, like, last thing on Canada is they need to, again, I talk about their approach to things. Like, if you remember their roll-up after they qualified, their friendly schedule was really erratic. Remember, they tried to schedule Iran. That got canceled because of political pressure. They then scheduled Panama, who I believe uh, then they decided to strike. So Panama came in on short notice, showed up, and then Canada was like, we're not playing. Anyway, uh, they played Bahrain in a friendly. Like, these are not games that they're going to help you prepare for a World Cup. Now, they, of course, they played some. They played Qatar. Qatar, As we learn now, Qatar was not going to help them get ready for the World Cup. They both were last and dead last. So, like, they have to also, again, in the lead up to 2026, they have to approach how do you build a team and how do you test them out? Bahrain's not going to do it. You need to schedule big teams. You need to schedule some tough opponents. We, uh, The United States has the same issue, right? Like, with Nations League kind of uh, being the, the benchmark here, like, they have to figure out a way for friendlies to get some other opponents in there that can test them. And also... As we've said, as we've talked kind of, you know, generally between the three of us, like all these teams need to figure out a way to play every confederation so that they can get as many styles in front of them as possible. Because on a World Cup, they I mean, Canada found out very quickly that they did not prepare for the style of play that was in their group. And it showed that's how they got hurt. The United States prepared a little bit better by scheduling teams that were similar opponents. They scheduled Saudi Arabia. They scheduled Japan. Things that they hadn't seen before. Morocco, so that, Uruguay. Morocco, like, Uruguay. So they were ready they, for that. They had played Wales like within a little over a year, you know? And I think yep. that's one of the other things we've seen. Like, I think these some of these na- 
not CONCACAF Nations League. I'm not shitting on CONCACAF Nations League. You fucking better not. <laughs> um, I think that, though, that is by some of these confederations doing a lot of these Nations Leagues, we saw Europe struggle with African teams and CONCACAF teams. Like mm-hmm. UEFA struggled because they aren't, they aren't playing, and I would say for the most part, aren't making an effort to play a lot of these different types of teams. Um, and some of, not some of that, a lot of it is the European arrogance um, in play as well. But can I, can I just make one more, one more note that is CONCACAF adjacent? Okay. Yeah. Let's go back to June. The United States, the United States plays Morocco. Okay. Morocco was again in their preparations for the world cup they came here and we served them it was for nothing right if you remember after that game morocco fired their coach because we humiliated them so bad that the coach had to go now now the reason behind that it's important is that they hired a new coach that old coach was so bad that a lot of the players that were part of the old guard including hakim sayach their best player Decided we're done with the national team. Don't ever call us again. They fire their coach. They hire the new coach. The first, the new coach, his first job is to convince Hakeem Zayich to come back to, to the team. They're in the quarterfinals based in part on how well he has been playing. So uh, from us to you, you're welcome, Morocco, uh, for des- destroying you in June and setting course for you to do well in this tournament. Wait, so you're telling me that if the U.S., would have got Greg Berhalter fired. We could have got Josie Altador back in the in the pool, and, and, and Michael Bradley would have had World Cup success because we're, <laughs> we're bringing our best players of the position, you know, back. We just didn't lose. We, we just didn't lose for nothing. That's what happened. So no. I don't tell you. No. No. I remember that game. I went to Ohio for it. I mean, I make, I, we make sacrifices for our country. <laughs> Fucking Ohio. Um, <laughs> All right. So we talked about the World Cup, talk about the future. Let's talk about going to the World Cup. Um, well, well, we'll get Jonathan involved in this too, because we just want to talk about the experience. Because this is the World Cup. It's the greatest sporting event on the planet, the biggest sporting event on the planet. Ever no no one cares about anything like the world cares about the World Cup. Donald, this was your second world men's world cup. Second men's world cup, yes. Mine as well. Um just like initial thoughts, like what was the experience like for you? If you want to talk about like what your trip actually was. Yeah, it was unique in the sense that we were able to go to a lot of games. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I went to, as I mentioned on the last show, I went to seven games in seven days, sometimes two a day. Some people did three a day. I know, I know one person who has literally been to every single game, like every single game, all 56 yeah. at this point. Um, and yes, it's exhausting. Yes, it's draining, but it is something that is very unique because before you'd have, um, you know, one game in one city and another game in another city on the other side of the country. There's no way you could do both. I think also what makes it unique is that all the fans were together. Mm-hmm. At, like we didn't, there was, you know, every day you walk through, you could see fans from all 32 countries that were competing in the World Cup. And I thought that was pretty cool because a lot of times you hear about some of the fan bases, you hear about some of the fun that they're having, but you don't get to see it if you're not in their city, right? Like in Brazil, people are like, oh man, the Brazilians, you know, obviously the Brazilians are everywhere, but like, oh man, the Dutch are going ham. And we're like, yo, there ain't no Dutch in Natal. So we couldn't, you know, like, there's no basis for that. So 
But now you could see that they were there in the country. You could hang with them. We were partying with Welsh fans the night before the Wales game because you could do that. And I think that part was really, really cool. Um, there's obviously some uh, some bad things that happened. I, I know this didn't. This was before uh, we recorded before this happened. But I got detained um, mm-hmm. at the England game for wearing a pride armband. Um, I wasn't let in for about 20 minutes, and it took the FIFA human rights director to come over and personally, you know, get me out of hawk and let me until the police let me through. Our friend Brian was forcibly removed from the Iran game mm-hmm. um, because of his pride armband. He also was detained. He also was eventually let in, um, let back in, I should say. And those the, those security issues were very inconsistent. There's a lot of things that happened where one stadium, they'd let things in and the other stadium, they would check stuff that was in the rules would be fine in one stadium, but it wasn't in another that. And that made for a lot of frustration, a lot of gates, hurting people at, you know, away from stadiums, a lot of walking. It makes yeah. for a lot of frustrating moments as well. And that comes with the territory. It's not that they had, you know, it's not like this was the only frustrating world cup because we've been to some where again, yeah. you, you've had issues with tickets. You've had issues with getting into stadiums or accessing, you know, certain parts of the stadium. But yeah, those, those frustrating points all, you know, boiled over, especially when a lot of it was, self-inflicted wounds if it makes that if that makes sense yeah no and talk about going to separate games so i got there and ended up getting offered a ticket i went to that japan germany game and mm-hmm. it was very interesting to be at a world cup game and just as a neutral like you're just like enjoying the atmosphere you know i was sitting in the end with the japan fans I got one of the blue plastic bags to clean up garbage afterwards. I'm like, motherfucker, I'm not cleaning up after y'all. Like, this is your thing, not mine, not mine. And after the game, like, you're getting herded to go get onto the metro station. And it's like, you're trying to get 40,000 people onto one subway system, you know? So it took us like an hour to get through the line just to get into the station. And the USA England game is at Albite Stadium up in Alcor, and there's no subway there. You had to take a bus or a taxi or an Uber to get to the stadium because it's this beautiful, brand new 60,000 seat stadium in the middle of the fucking desert. Like, th- there's nothing out there. And yeah, everyone's just getting herded onto this fleet of buses after the game. It's like, what in the hell are we doing here? What is what is the point of this? It's just like, as much as you enjoyed some of the moments, like being around fans uh, from all over the world, just everything being so close, being able to go to random games or there, it was as much of a mess as you could expect them building everything just for a World Cup could be. You know, they had 12 years for this to build this and they probably needed 20. Like there was, um, I mean, I guess I can talk about my fan village experience because I, yeah, stayed I was going to ask because you are now back. So I am uh, back. We, so, we deliberately did talk about it at the Conca cafe. Yeah. We deliberately mm-hmm. talking about, I want to make sure I was out of the country before I like went into this. Cause it's some fucked up shit. So I stayed at one of the fan villages and it wasn't the one with the tents. You know, everyone's it's like, oh, if people are staying in tents out in the desert, it's like, 
No, I was at the Dignified one. I was at one of them where you're staying in shipping containers. You know, I was classy. Dignified one. <laughs> yeah, it was shipping containers. So I get there. Now, mind you, I flew in on Wednesday the 20, it would have been the 23rd. So that was, this was multiple days after the tournament had started. Like people had been there. This, the tournament starts on the weekend. I was getting there in the middle of the week. I show up early in the morning. I had a reservation for Wednesday through Saturday. And I, I flew overnight from London. I get there and I'm like, hopefully I can check in early, you know? Like I just want to like lay down, get a little nap, and then go take on the day in Doha, like experience the World Cup. And I get there and like get up to the the shipping container they had that was the reception desk, you know, and I go ask, it's like, hey, I have a reservation, can I check in? And they tell me, no, sorry, we don't have anything available right now. Check-in is at 4 p.m. Uh, you'll be able to check in then. I'm like, okay. I'm like, can you hold my bags? So, you know, I can do stuff. This is nine in the morning. And they're like, uh, we don't have anywhere to put it right now. And I'm like, okay. I'm in the middle of the fucking desert in this pop-up village, which is essentially just green turf carpeting laid out in between shipping containers and it's nine in the morning you're in the desert so there's not a cloud in the sky there's no trees it's just sunshine and i'm like i'm on one hour of sleep and i'm like well fuck so i get there i go try changing in one of the public bathroom trailers which i don't know if you know anything about like middle eastern culture but there's a thing about washing your feet so all, all the bathrooms you had had like hoses and like things to wash your feet. So every bathroom you went to in Doha, the floor was, was flooded, soaked. It was just soaked with water. Absolutely disgusting. So I'm sitting there trying to figure out how to change my underwear and not touch the floor. You know, <laughs> I am not I am not the most nimble person. <laughs> I'm just sitting there like, what the fuck am I doing here? And I, I change. I got my luggage with me. I had like a carry-on and a backpack. Like I tr- tried to travel light. And around 11 a.m., I had a friend. My friend John was also book- moving into that fan village that day. And he gets there, and I give him the lowdown on the situation. And he's like, maybe I'll see if I can try a check. Now, mind you, in this time while I was waiting for him to get there, I was like exploring. I went to the dining hall, which was essentially like a buffet set up in a giant tent on one end with like card tables throughout the rest of it and like linole like vinyl flooring laid down just absolute nonsense i it it was like holy shit i'm at firefest i'm at fifa firefest and john gets there and he goes to talk to the girl at the desk and he's like hey can i check in and he gets the same line four o'clock but they had eventually found a tent to store people's bags. So they now had someone like checking people's bags in. So we were able to leave them there. And we go, he had an extra ticket for that Japan-Germany game. So we decide we're going to go to the game. We'll go get some food and we'll come back by the time we get back from the game, which was an afternoon game. We'll be able to check in. So we go, go to the game. Awesome game. Japan wins. Uh, we go through the city a little bit. And it's about eight o'clock. We decide to go back to the fan village. Like, let's check in, get settled. We could watch. They had a big screen with a bunch of like beanbag chairs out in the middle to 
watch. It was actually like a pretty cool vibe there. We go to check in and we get to the desk and say, hey, we want to check in now. And they're like, we don't have any rooms. It's like, we have reservations. How do we not have a room? Like, people haven't been leaving, so we don't have enough clean rooms. So we're like, okay, so what are we supposed to do? And they're like, we don't know. We're working on it. So I'm on one hour of sleep. I've been up for like 30, 39 of the last 40 hours. And we're sitting there. I'm like falling asleep in this chair outside in the middle of the desert with this game on the big screen with the audio and Arabic, you know, like I don't understand anything that's going on right now. And we keep going up every half hour. It's like, hey, what's going on? Eventually, they're like, here, we have these keys because every container had like a key. So there's like one key to get in every one. So this box of keys, like these are all dirty rooms. If you would like a room, you can take one of these and then we will try to clean it later. It's like, how do you not have clean rooms? Also, <laughs> who is going to clean it and when? Also, how dirty is this? We don't know. They're like, they literally just hand us two keys out of the box. My buddy takes one, I take one. And we like, all right, go see how bad it is. And we go, John's not too bad. You know, they're, the bed's messy, but it looks like one wasn't used too much. And it's not too, not too bad. He's like, okay, this is fine. I'm just going to take this. I'm like, okay. So we go check the key that I got, open it up. Some dude's shit is like still in there. There's a like a traditional <laughs> Arab, like, I don't know what the white suits are. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know the name for them. The throbes or whatever. Yeah. The throat. Yeah. That's hanging up. Open up the closet. There's a bag, underwear, a Saudi Arabia jersey. Like someone is still living there. And I'm like, all right, well, this isn't going to work. So I go back up to the desk. I'm like, yeah, someone's still in there. I'm going to need another one. And they give me another one. It's like, try this one. I go, fortunately, no one was in that one. Like there was no shit, but like some disgusting person had been sleeping in both the beds there. And I'm like, it's like 11 o'clock at night. And I'm like, I can't handle this shit anymore. So I rip everything off the beds. I sleep on a bare mattress without any sheets, any blankets, no pillow, nothing. I have a hoodie underneath as a pillow and I just like put pants on and a sweatshirt. And that's how I slept my first night. I'm like, what did I pay $200 a night for? How is this going to get any better? What am I doing here? How much is a hotel in Doha? And the answer to that is like $700 a night. Mm -hmm. Just, I had no options. Like I can't walk anywhere. Like I'm in the middle of the fucking desert. I have to keep reiterating that. So get a couple hours of sleep. You don't get a lot. Like if there's people outside, like the walls of these storage containers are not thick, you know? Yeah. Someone's walking by having a conversation. You're hearing everything they're saying. You might not understand it because you don't know what language it is, but you're hearing all of it. And sun comes up, wake up, go to the front desk. I'm like, Yo, can I just like get a towel so I can shower? Like, I don't know when you're going to clean the room. I just need, I need to clean myself. And they're like, uh, we don't know when we'll have towels and sheets. I'm like, what are we doing here? Like, what, what is the plan? And I see a bus with about 40, 50 
migrant workers like walking towards to get back on. And I see another one pulling up with more getting off. So apparently the government had sent over people to help, you know, you know, just like extra staff. And I'm sitting there like, this is so, so, so gross. And yeah, they had sent people over. I don't know if they were putting more storage units together for people to stay in. They They were. were, They were still hanging up signage like that morning. Again, this is like five days into the tournament and they're hanging up signage at this fan village. And I'm like, all right, I guess I'll wait. And I'm walking around. I will give them credit. They had like a temporary like tent with like a grocery store in it. Very cool. It was like a legit store with like all kinds of groceries. They did have raw frozen items, which is interesting because I have no idea where people would cook such things, but they <laughs> were selling them in, in the store at the fan village. But around like 11 a.m., I see a cleaning cart with like a cleaning crew going down towards where my storage bin was. And I go up and I'm like, which which direction are you going? Are you going this way? Because I, I know where to go. And they're like, show me. And the guy followed me. I show him where my storage thing is. And he's like, all right, I clean it. And the guy comes, the one dude sat, took like 20 minutes and cleaned my entire unit, gave me sheets, towels, everything. And I'm like, walk in like, all right, this is cool. I like, I'm, I'm (laughs) done with this. 20 some hours later, I finally get like a good unit, but it's like, you see groups of workers around and it's like, all right, so I'm getting the real Qatar experience here. And it was in hindsight, like I am kind of glad that wasn't like the glitzy, you know, curated experience. Like I saw what, Qatar was in full staying at that fan village it ended up being kind of cool at night when like they'd have the big screen on and they'd be showing the games and there'd be a couple hundred people from all over the world outside um just where my unit was like I had someone from Mexico next to me there's uh people from Saudi Arabia right across and then uh there's this girl from Argentina that was like next to lamb so it's like talking about being around people from all over the world. It's like this world cup is unlike any other because you're going to get all of that. Like you're not going to get people from all over together like that again. Um, So it was cool. Like taking the shuttle from the fan village to the Metro because there wasn't like, we weren't like on the line. You had to take a bus to get to the train. Um, Whenever it was like a game day, like there'd be people getting jacked up because they're going to see their team in the world cup. Then, like that, their excitement levels at 100, and you're just like experiencing it as well. It was that part of it was memorable. So, the most disappointing thing about, or one of the most disappointing things about the World Cup, there's obviously a lot that mm-hmm. was disappointing, but the one of the biggest things was the fact that people who wanted to go spite of all the, you know, I gesture, ladies and gentlemen, out at the universe, in spite of all that was going on, a lot of people were saying, hey, it's just too expensive. There's not hotel rooms. Yeah. It's just too expensive. I don't know if you knew this, Eric, but we found out while we were there that every single 
place was capped at 50%. Really? Every single hotel, every single villa, every sing- the ship that I was staying on, all the ships, they were capped at 50%. They basically treated it like a Miami nightclub. Create the line outside to make it feel like it's packed and that it's the it thing to do and that you're fighting to get in. And then when you get into the club, it's half empty. And I think that was disappointing because all of those prices were basically inflated by demand that was also artificial because the supply matched the demand. Yeah. And they should have opened up all the hotel rooms, packed everything full. Obviously, they took forget the the team hotels because they took those and mm-hmm. they always do that. That's fine. But like every single villa, every single like if you're selling a hotel at $700 a night because there's only one or two rooms in there, but what if there's 50 rooms in there? You wouldn't sell the $700 a night. Even if you yeah. did, people would get it because they would have the, like, you know, more, more supply with less than the prices. And they didn't want to do that. They wanted to inflate the prices by doing that. They restricted the supply so that the demand exceeded the supply and they created this, this artificial market. Yeah, I mean, you saw that with tickets too. Like it, we eventually everyone figured out it's three a.m. every morning, three a.m. local time. You could go on the ticketing website, and there was tickets available for every game. Mm-hmm. Most, mo- almost every price level, there would be cat three tickets, which were the least expensive ones available for any game you wanted to go to. So it's like tickets were to be had, and a lot of the stadiums looked full. Some of them looked kind of empty because I'm sure tickets got distributed and. There were no shows, but most of the people going to those games were the same people going to every game. So mm-hmm. as much as they want to talk about the crowds and like how attendance is, it's not like a cumulative attendance for those games. Like it will be for the next world cup. And like it has been for past world cups. It's the same fucking hundred thousand people going to every game. And well, I saw, I saw today there was a big thing about um, the amount of people um that like unique visitors to the country like they were expecting like 1.2 million unique mm-hmm. visitors and they're looking at set last count was like 735,000 I don't even know if it was that much like I mean, well that how... was the I mean that was the official that was those were the official numbers that I saw mm-hmm. I think from Reuters yeah I mean you can't really go on the official numbers from them for anything you know but no i mean but yeah no you can't but yeah but like donald i know you went to that airport there was no lines for anything like the place (laughs) was fucking empty empty like you really didn't have to wait for much of anything the whole time so also the people leaving right because we we also heard about you know up until three weeks before the tournament they basically said if you don't have a higher card you don't have a match ticket you can't come to qatar like, yeah. again, part of the World Cup was people sometimes show up in country without a ticket. They just want to vibe. Yeah. And then maybe they look out and get a ticket. But otherwise, they just vibe out in the country. And that couldn't happen. My flight out of there, there was maybe 10, 10 or 12 fans on mm-hmm. there. Everyone else was there for business. And really? it was just like a normal like business trip or like there was a family on vacation. Um, but they weren't going to the games. And when you left, you're just like, wait a minute. You told us that we couldn't be up in here without one of these. And not one of them, it's not like they asked for a higher car at the airport, but not one yeah. person. 
had a higher card, except for me. Again, there's a couple people dressed in their in their jersey colors, but it yeah, that artificial market is really what it could in, in a way it it contributed to a lot of people not going for again, take out all the other reasons that you wouldn't want to go. But if people wanted to go, the biggest factor was cost. And the cost was inflated artificially. And that's a shame because a lot more people would have experienced it and maybe provided more positive feedback if they had kept. And again, like your situation may not have happened yeah. because there have been enough hotels for you to stay in. And they would have been at a price where you could afford to stay in one instead of taking your chances in a shipping container. Yeah. Well, it's also it's like when they started building the shipping containers like three weeks ago. Absolutely dumb. But going back to the higher cards, like you need to have this higher card. You need to have this high card. I showed it in three places. One, to get into the stadiums, you had to show the higher as part of like the ticket scanning. To get on the metro, which the only good memorable thing I remember is just everyone with the big foam fingers saying metro. This metro, way. this way. Metro station, <laughs> this way. Metro station, this way. Like that's all you heard. This is the soundtrack of the World Cup. Yeah, yeah, soundtrack of the World Cup. And I had to show it to get into the U.S. soccer night before party. That's the only other time I used it. It's like for, I mean, I guess they have all the data they needed to do it, but like it seemed to be built up to this be all end all ID that you need everywhere. You didn't necessarily need it. I mean, on the subways, you basically had to flash it. Like if you had like a gray business card, there's no way they would have known. They weren't like looking. You just basically walked through. It's so like... Go ahead. enough, enough about us, right? I, I'm, I'm very curious and, and interested because I've seen pictures in, um, Eric, I know you probably experienced it on Saturday, but Jonathan, take us through what it was like to be in the United States, namely Nashville, for these games. How, ex- well, how was it? I mean, was the buildup as it like, was it a lot of buildup? Was it a lot of excitement from casuals or was it just the diehards that showed up to where you I mean, were? So it was definitely year? a lot of, um, you know, casuals. So just so here in Nashville, um, the AO bar, uh, tailgate brewery, shout out tailgate. Um, love you. They originally were going to, um, rent screens, uh, but they actually ended up deciding they went out and bought, um, the LED boards to make a 16 foot by nine foot screen. Um, and then another, I think seven foot by seven foot screen they put on the outside of the, the restaurant. Um, and so, I mean, we had the parking lot. Everything was was set off. Like, so, like, there was a definitely a different vibe for each one of the the group stage games. And then the knockout game was something entire, not entirely different. It was more like the England game, you know, with the with both the the Iran game and the Wales game. You know, both of those uh, happened on a weekday. So, like, you know, game times one p.m. local time. So, like, it was a lot of people that showed up late. Not so like you know twelve thirty twelve forty five um is when a ton of people were showing up, yeah. and I mean yeah I mean the crowd was 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 bumping um but then that England game being the Friday day after Thanksgiving um I mean you know game was at one bar opened at eleven I mean and I mean there was a line uh you know at that like from the moment like before they opened 
uh, to get into the bar and it was absolutely slammed and then Eric was there for the uh for the game against uh the Netherlands and I mean so like we opened up an hour before kickoff uh and I mean there's a line there... raptor on the block for the entire hour leading up to kickoff yeah. And I mean, you you could not move in there. I mean, it was it was absolutely wild. Yeah, yeah, a lot of casuals. I mean, diehards to people that will become diehards. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was it was it was a lot of fun. Well, like, let me ask you, because I mean, I think the knockout, like, obviously, there's a lot of build up to that. And it was a weekend. But how like disconnecting was it like having a weekday afternoon game like you? It's in the middle of work day. It's obviously we did this outside but like you turn it on and it's like obviously nighttime over there like did it feel kind of disconnecting like what you're seeing on the screen versus like the environment you're in it felt a little bit disconnecting but the other thing too though is the fact of like i mean i think one of the other things was different um and there was at least nashville like also like the weather in the city kind of you know put some of that but like the fact of like you know, that Monday game, you know, they you have a lot of people that are, you know, they've still taken off for the holiday. You know, they're taking that whole week. And so, um, you know, there was and it was the first game, you know, first game since, um, you know, eight years since we've yeah. we've had a World Cup. So like like the palpable, like the uh, the energy, the anticipation was like very palpable. Now, the other game, the Iran game it was just shitty weather in Nashville. Like, and that really paid it played a big part in like people, you know, we, we didn't get to use the screen outside cause there's some really bad wind. Um, and so I, th- I mean, there was a lot, like that one was very nerve wracking. Like the crowd was, um, as a whole, just on edge the entire time. But yeah, you, you got the win and it was like, so, I mean, that game ends like three o'clock PM local time. Like, what was it like having, because, I mean, Donald can speak to this, like, those game, every game was 10 p.m. local time over in Doha. So it's like, you get out, it's like, all right, I'm going to fucking go to bed, you know? And well, we, we, had to, we had to create our own schedule. Like, for us, like, you know, that we're staying on the ship, like, we didn't go to bed until 3, 3.30, because after those games, you it, it take you an hour at least to get back to the ship. Mm-hmm. So you're, that's one. You haven't eaten dinner, so they had a buffet that ran till five. So you'd go to the buffet at like 45, 2 o'clock, and then you'd power down by like having a drink or two, and or just kind of just relax for a little bit. By then you're looking at three, three thirty, and so you'd kind of go to bed at three, three thirty, and then sleep till ten, ten thirty, and then that was kind of our schedule. Like our like lunch on the ship was basically our breakfast, you know their dinner service was our lunch and then the the midnight service was our dinner. So it was hard to, it, I mean, after a while that I know that got draining just because your, your body just did not know what time it was. Yeah. Uh, we'll kind of wrap, we've been going for a while, so we'll kind of wrap this up down. I do want to ask you one thing. What is the best thing you ate in Doha that, and Nando's is excluded from this conversation was the best meal you had. The best meal I had that was not Nando's. Um, great question. I, would I mean, say, I'm taking the, I'm taking the number one answer away from you right off the bat. You know? Yeah, uh, I would say probably 
on the ship they had a uh, a chicken shawarma that was pretty good um at the buffet they also had a um uh what am i thinking about so on thanksgiving they did have some turkey for us um nice. that wasn't i don't think that was by design it wasn't like they were carving turkeys it was like little turkey medallions but still did the trick but they had a uh, a pork tenderloin one night that was super good uh but the like everyday stuff I'll tell you the Indian food they had was banging on the ship. Nice. Banging. The samosas popping every single day, every single meal. Um, so that was probably, you know, we did the buffet for all our meals, but like that was probably the best part was the shawarma, the pork tenderloin we had one night and all the Indian food. Uh, for me, it would have to be the post night before party. There's a Papa John's across the street. It was actually pretty, pretty solid. It was open late. Honestly, it was like one of the cooler experiences of it because there were some a bunch of dudes from Argentina, some dudes from Mexico, and me and my buddy and some other Americans just sitting out on this patio at like 2.30 in the morning. Like, we're all drunk, which is funny because like, apparently being drunk in public is illegal there. I didn't see anyone keeping an eye out on that. Um, but yeah, just had some banging Papa John's. It was good because I had like I had Nando's twice while I was there, so that's like one and two off the list. Mm-hmm. All right, another World Cup in the books. The cycle is over, and now we look ahead. So, thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, Jonathan, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at JSlape SSP, uh, and then Broadway Sports Media. Stuff should start uh, kicking back up as, uh, you know, the World Cup grinds to a halt and we start looking forward to club soccer being back. Yep. Donald? At Blazing DW on Twitter and uh, at Stars and Stripe at Stars Stripes FC. Um, we are still writing stuff about the World Cup. So if you are still watching the World Cup, even though the CONCACAF teams are done, uh, head over there. We have, uh, you know, stuff every day for at least for every uh, game. We will have match discussions and and things like that and all sorts of content. So head over there. Yeah. And also head to our Patreon, patreon.com slash podcast. Make sure you support the podcast. We really appreciate it. As low as a dollar a month can can feed me and Donald and Jonathan. And you have a discount code for our merch, which is available on our uh, spring store. And yeah, you'll find more information about that at uh, our social medias, which is at podcacaf on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And yeah, really appreciate all the support. Uh, Thanks to everyone who's been following along. We honestly didn't really post enough from Doha. So we'll probably, we'll throw some uh, Patreon content out there with some pictures, nice little, uh, you know, photo album from the big old trip. Uh, On our Patreon, you can also find our one more round episode that we'll be recording right meow after we finish this and uh we'll be talking more world cup stuff and travels and donald and i went to spain so we'll probably talk about that too so thanks for listening see you next time